All right, we're in uh, Daniel chapter 11. It's going to be two parts of Daniel chapter 11. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 35 today, 35 verses. So I'm going to read 35 verses, but this is, this is what I want you to think about. In the first 35 verses of Daniel 11, there are about 135 prophecies in those first 35 verses, 135. So as I'm reading it, think about every detail, every minuscule detail that is communicated through Daniel chapter 11, verses 1 through 35. Every detail is communicated prophetically to Daniel by God. And so 135, we're not going to be able to count them, but just take my word for it. There's about 135. So this should keep you kind of piqued in your interest as we read through Daniel chapter 11, verses 1 through 35. So the title of today's message is, What We Believe About God Shapes the Way We Live Our Lives. And so we'll unpack that here in just a moment. Daniel 11, verses 1 through 35. You guys ready? Be looking for the 100 and roughly 35 prophetic words that are given. Verse 1, and as for me, I feel like we should pray. Lord, <laughs> Lord, we just invite you to um, illuminate the truth of the word of God in Daniel chapter 11, verses 1 through 35. I pray that you'd open our eyes to see the truth of it, Lord, that we would be in our, in our spirits, in our minds, in our hearts, our lives, God, that we would be impressed and even overwhelmed such that our faith is built in you, Lord God. Not impressed for the sake of being impressed, but impressed so that our faith might be built up. Our most holy faith may be built in this time of study of your word. And so I pray, God, that as we read about the details that God prophetically spoke, why? Because he already saw it. Uh, we would just know that we can trust you because You've already seen it. Whatever's going on in our lives and whatever's going on in the world, God, you have already seen it, so you're not surprised. You're not taken aback. God, you, you know exactly what's going on in the earth, and so we invite you to be glorified today in our response and our understanding of your word. Help us to grow, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel 11.1, 1, and as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Verse 2, and now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia. Who's counting? <laughs> okay, we're not going to do that all the way through. But And a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he is arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, not according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. Then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule, and his authority shall be a great authority. After some years, they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north, to make an agreement. 
but she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure, but she shall be given up, and her attendants, he who fathered her, and he who supported her in those times. <laughs> and from a branch, from her roots, one shall arise in his place. He shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north, and he shall deal with them and shall prevail. He shall also carry off to Egypt their gods and their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold. And for some years, he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. Then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. His sons, <laughs> the details are amazing. His sons shall wage war and assemble a multitude of great forces, which shall keep coming and overflow and pass through and again shall carry the war as far as his fortress. Then the king of the south, moved with rage, shall come out and fight against the king of the north and he shall raise a great multitude, but it shall be given into his hand. And when the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted and he shall cast down tens of thousands, but he shall not prevail. For the king of the north shall again raise a multitude greater than the first. And after some years, he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies. In those times, many shall rise against the king of the south. And the violence among your own people shall lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision, but they shall fail. Then the king of the north shall come and throw up siege works and take a well-fortified city. And the forces of the south shall not stand or even his best troops, for there shall be no, <laughs> no strength to stand. But he who comes against him shall do as he wills and none shall stand before him. And he shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his hand. He shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom. And he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom, but it shall not stand or be to his advantage. Afterward, he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall capture many of them. But a commander shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon him. Then he shall turn his face back toward the fortress of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found. Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days, he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. In this place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. And from the time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, and he shall become strong with a small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province, 
and he shall do what neither his father nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them plunder, spoil, and goods. He shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army. But he shall not stand, for plots shall be devised against him. Verse 26, even those who eat his food shall break him. His army shall be swept away and many shall fall down slain. And as far as the two kings, their hearts shall be bent on doing evil. They shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail for the end is yet to be at the, uh, at the time appointed. And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant. And he shall work his will and return to his own land. And at the appointed, at the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the holy covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offerings and they shall set up the abomination that makes, makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. And when they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join uh, themselves to them with flattery. And verse 35, some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined purified and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. Remember, Daniel chapters 10, 11, and 12 all have to do with the same vision. This vision has been partially, I'll even say mostly, fulfilled. The 135 prophetic words that were spoken in these verses have already been fulfilled. Daniel 10 is the prologue. Daniel 11 is the vision. Daniel 12 is the promise in the epilogue. And again, this vision came two to three years following the vision of chapter 9 that I believe Curtis taught through regarding the 77s of sevens. And Daniel 10, as a reminder, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, or last week, Daniel 10, 1 tells us things about the vision right away. Number one, the word was true. We get that right in Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. And again, Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12 all go together. So in Daniel 10, 1, he said, the word was true. This was a spoken vision, not an image vision. So the Lord spoke this to Daniel. Number two, it was about a great conflict. And as we read through uh, Daniel 11, the first 35 verses, you see lots of conflict. There's a great conflict um, in, the, in the earth. Uh, number three, Daniel 
understood the word and he understood the vision, which is different than the rest of the visions that he received. This is different from the other visions that he received, visions he did not understand. Daniel had clarity about this vision. So what does this vision mean? One commentary titles this vision, World History from Darius to the Time of the end. And so we see in those first 35 verses, those 135 prophetic words talking about kings and kingdoms that cover approximately 200 years of world history. And you can go back and study your world history and, and find out that what was recorded here is actually what happened. The prophecy is so accurate that skeptics, and we've been saying this throughout this study of Daniel, skeptics believe, especially about Daniel 11, that there's no way that this could be spoken of ahead of time. There's no way that this is a prophetic book. Instead, they believe, the skeptics believe that this is a book of history written sometime in the second century. It's important that we understand truth and believe truth as it is written in the scriptures. What does this vision mean? And what do we believe about this vision? Because again, what we believe about God shapes the way we live our lives. And so for skeptics sitting here this morning in line with the skeptics who doubt that God could do this or that God would do this, that's gonna shape the way you believe and the way that you live as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you believe by faith, knowing that God is capable and able and indeed willing to share the revelation needed to prepare his saints, his church, his people for what is coming, then you've got a proper belief about God. What we believe about God shapes the way we live our lives. Daniel chapter 11, verse two, let me get back there. When you're preaching from an iPad and you hit the wrong part of the iPad, it just jacks you up. I'm getting there. There's a lot of verses. Almost there, almost there, almost there. Just about there, there. Daniel 11.2, <laughs> Daniel 11.2 says, three more kings will arise in Persia. We see indeed that after Daniel spoke this, that three more kings uh, rose to power in Persia. Cambyses ruled 529 to 522 BC. Pseudo-Smyrtus ruled 522 to 521 BC. Darius I ruled... 521 to 486 BC. Daniel 11:2b, the second portion of the second verse, says, "A fourth king shall be far richer than all of them. He shall stir up, uh, stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. This fourth king is the king Xerxes, who ruled from 486 to 465 BC. So those are the kings of Persia that this vision speaks of. Verse three of Daniel 11 speaks of the kings of Greece. Daniel 11.3 tells us, a mighty king shall arise. That mighty king is Alexander the Great who ruled 336 to 323 BC. Daniel 11.4 says, and as soon as he has risen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his 
posterity, not according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. We've already studied portions of this as we've studied through Daniel. Alexander the Great's kingdom was divided into four kingdoms. So what Daniel wrote about actually happened. Macedon and Greece went to Cassander. Thrace and Asia Minor went to Lysimachus. Syria and Babylon went to Seleucus, and Judah and Egypt went to Ptolemy. Now to the kings of south, Egypt, and to the kings of the north, Syria. Daniel 11.5a, the first part of Daniel 11.5 says, then the king of the south shall be strong. This king is Ptolemy the first, Nicator, and he ruled 323 to 285 BC. Daniel 11. 5b says, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule and his authority shall be a great authority. This verse is speaking about King Seleucus I Nicator who ruled 312 to 280 BC and on and on and on and on. For 35 verses, we've got documentation that prove that what God spoke in those first 35 verses, all came to pass. Again, spanning about 200 years of kings and kingdoms. So we could spend the next hour unpacking all verses pertaining to this pro prophecy that God gave. But it's, I don't think it's altogether necessary. I could do it and you could listen and we wouldn't remember most of it. What I think is most important is that we can have confidence and we can go back and do our own study of these verses and realize that what God said has come to, the, to, to pass. In the, in the tune of 135 roughly verses of prophecy came to pass over the period of a couple hundred years. We need to understand that God spoke things to Daniel that could not have been known other than through a supernatural God communicating this information. And this is the supernatural God that we serve. We serve a supernatural God who is able to communicate this truth. Again, this passage covers about 200 years of kings and kingdoms. And Daniel spoke, imagine the detail again as we Remember those 35 verses and all of the detail. Daniel spoke with such accuracy that skeptics down throughout history have concluded that the book of Daniel must be a history book and not a book of prophecy. Let me, let me ask you a question. Can God speak about things that have not yet happened? <laughs> okay. Okay, we're, we're in the right church. Okay, good. <laughs> God can absolutely speak about things that have not happened. Now, why do we believe that God can speak about things that have not yet happened? Why do we believe this about God? He's the Alpha and the Omega, right? He's the first and the last. He's already seen it. Early in my Christian life, God, uh, somebody explained God to me this way in history, human history. Uh, he or she explains, she said, it's like God's up here and human history is unfolding like a parade in front of him. So he's seen the beginning 
in the middle in the end. He's not surprised by anything that's unfolding. And so because of his information, the information that he has and the knowledge that he has, he's able to communicate very minute details. Now, God can speak in a general form, which he does at times, or he can speak very specifically to the details that will unfold. Either or are equally easy for him. <laughs> Do we realize that there is nothing that is hard for God? <laughs> Whether he's speaking in general terms or very specific terms, there is nothing that is difficult for God. What we believe about God shapes the way we live our lives. When we understand that nothing is difficult for God, that will shape the way that we live our lives. And so what do we believe about God? All we have to do is read the scripture and know that we, we can gather all kinds of information about God. But for the sake of time and for focus today, I'm going to focus us on three things, attributes of God, things that we believe about God that will build us up in our most holy faith and that will cause us to live differently as a result of the information. We believe, based on Scripture, three basic things about God. Number one, we believe in the doctrine of omniscience. The doctrine of omniscience is the attribute by which God perfectly and eternally knows everything that can be known, past, present, and future. <laughs> it's pretty cool, right? What's one thing you'll never hear God say? I forgot. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> right? I didn't see that coming. The doctrine of, of, of omniscience, the attribute by which God perfectly and eternally knows everything that can be known, past, present, and future. Isaiah knew that God was omniscient. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, God spoke, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all of my purposes." So when we serve an omniscient God who knows everything perfectly and eternally, everything that can be known, he knows past, present, and future, that should give us a great deal of confidence facing the challenges that we face in our day and in our culture and in every scenario and situation that we're up against. When we know that our God who has saved us and redeemed us and who has filled us, that he knows all things, we can have great confidence that he's not surprised, he's not taken back, He's not wringing his hands. He's not wondering what to do next. He already saw it coming, and so he's already got a plan from, beginning, from the beginning of the foundation. So for your own personal walk, do you believe that God is omniscient? Yes. <laughs> oh, you know, that should take like a huge load off of us knowing that God is omniscient because it's this omniscient God that we trust with our very lives here and our eternity forever and ever, amen. But because we can trust this all-knowing, omniscient God, we can take life 
with a little bit less stress and anxiety. We can take things with a grain of salt because we know that our God, uh, my God, our personal God, the God who redeemed us and saved us and loves us, knew. He knew ahead of time. It's like going on a trip and trusting your dad to get you from point A to point B when you're a little kid and you're on that long drive, that six hour, 10 hour, 12 hour, 15 hour drive, that long journey to your destination. You don't have a lot of worries. You know the trip's getting long, but you know that your dad is going to get you there. You've got confidence that your dad, who is earthly and flawed, but you know he's at least gonna get you to the vacation, the final destination. We can have confidence that our perfect savior, our redeemer and our Lord, he knows all things. So do you believe that? We need to internalize some of these things because sometimes we'll, we'll flippantly say, oh, God's omniscient, great. But we don't internalize that and we don't apply it to our own personal lives and realize in our own personal lives and circumstances, God is omniscient. And so because God is omniscient, he knew I can have a greater uh, level of joy and peace. It's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. It's the peace of God that, that against all circumstantial uh, things we can, we can have and it fills us by his grace. When bad things happen, we believe. When good things happen, we believe. We believe because we know that God knows and God can be trusted. We know and believe that God perfectly and eternally knows all things that can be known, past, present, and future. God is omniscient, but God is also omnipresent. <laughs> The doctrine of omnipresence, the attribute of God by virtue of which he fills the universe in all its parts and is present everywhere at once. Not a part of him, but the whole of God is present in every place. <laughs> There's nowhere that you can run to get away from him. Sometimes we want to run from God. It's a futile attempt. God, and I think we need to look at this properly, we need to know that God is with us and we need to know and be reassured that even when we're running from God, like a father or mother wanting to go after a child who is running in the wrong direction, a good parent wants to go after their child to bring them back to a place of safety. Uh, a good parent wants to reassure uh, their child of the love that they have for them and the commitment that they have for them. A good parent goes after a wayward child because a good parent loves even wayward children. God loves us even when we're wayward. There's actually no place that we can go to hide from him. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 139.7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? That should comfort us that God, by his grace and his mercy, pursues us because of his great compassion and his great love. When we get that, that attribute of the Father, when we understand the goodness of the Father, it should help us to find peace in our relationship with God, 
but also it should help us to help others who are straying or, or, or struggling in their faith. We should know that God has been so good to us and out of that goodness that we've experienced as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should extend that goodness to others. And so when we see others struggling or wrestling with their faith or doubting their faith, we should come alongside them with grace and tenderness and with truth, helping them back into a place of strong faith as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24 says, I am a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away. Ah. So no matter what you're up against, he's not far away. He's not distant. He is a God at hand, not a God far away. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? God in his fullness is everywhere present at once. This isn't pantheism. Pantheism believes that God and the universe are one and that God is in everything. In fact, God is in my pulpit right here. Can the fullness of God reside in a pulpit? It's foolishness, right? But the, full, the fullness of God can reside in all creation. Pantheism, pantheism is the belief that God and the universe are one and the same. There's no dividing line between the two. It's a type of religious belief rather than a specific religion, similar to terms like monotheism, belief in a single God, and pantheism, belief in multiple gods. Pantheists view God as imminent and impersonal. Everything that we read about God in the scriptures in the book that God has given to us, in the 66 books of the Bible, everything that God tells us about himself contradicts pantheism. God is not far away, disconnected, disinterested. He's very well present, very much present, and interested and connected by his grace to us. Do you believe that God is omnipresent? <laughs> We need to internalize the omniscience of God and the omnipresence of God because when we're struggling, we need to remember this truth about God because we're never alone. Even though there are things that we go through in life that make us feel like we are all alone. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in counseling people over the years. I feel like I'm all alone. This is a tool of the enemy, your adversary, the devil, who walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is a liar and the father of lies. And when he's telling you you are all alone, it's directly contrary to the truth that we understand and believe from Scripture. We are never alone. God is always present, and he knows precisely, exactly what we're going through. And like a good father, he wants to come around us put his arm around us and welcome us back into his presence in a gracious and kind way so that we're reminded, we're reminded, oh God, yeah, you're, I, I'm never alone. I'm never alone. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. Sometimes we just feel alone. Listen, don't let your feelings dictate what you believe about God. We are 
built to emote, to have emotions, to have feelings of sadness and gladness and everything in between. We're meant to emote, to have those emotions, but those emotions are not meant to dictate to our understanding who God is. Those emotions will, will dilute who God is in our understanding and cause us to be confused about what's going on in our circumstances. We need, need to let the word of God inform our understanding about who God is, that he is omniscient and that he is omnipresent. So the next time you're conflicted or confused or tempted to think that you are all alone, that God isn't aware, you need to know that that is a trick of the enemy to get you captured in despair. Do you believe that God is omnipresent? Do you believe that all of God fills all of the universe all of the time. Do you believe that? Can I ask you to please internalize that truth? We internalize all kinds of things, lies. We internalize, nobody likes me. We internalize that. Oh, I'm a failure. We internalize that. We never internalize the right stuff. We need to change our minds about the way we live our lives and internalize the truth, the right stuff. If we begin to internalize the truth and the right stuff, we will have greater peace in life, greater victory in life, and greater joy in life. We will have a closer walk with the Lord when we begin and choose to internalize the right stuff. Wherever you are, God is there. Whatever you're up against, God is with you. Why? Because he's omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. I like that one. I like them all. But I like that one. The doctrine of omnipotence the attribute of God that describes his ability to do whatever he wills. <laughs> God can do whatever he wants to do. Let's clarify. God's will is limited by his nature and therefore cannot do anything that is contrary to his nature as God, such as to ignore sin or to sin or to do something absurd or self-contradictory. God can do whatever he wants to do and everything that he does do is in alignment with his nature. What are, what's the nature and character of God? Throw out some words for me. Love, Love nature, Passion. character, what? Passion. Compassion, faithful, faithful. Wise, righteous, huh? One more time. Just. Thank you. I've got. I should. This is my good ear. Gentle. Mercy. What is it? Kindness. It's right there on the tip of your tongue. Humbleness. Holy. We could. We could each identify an attribute or a character of God. We, under, we know something about his nature because as we read the scripture and as we live in relationship with him, we begin to know who it is that we serve. And when we know who it is that we serve, we can understand that he operates in the universe within the, within the boundaries of his character and his nature. Job knew this. He wrote in Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Why did Job know this? You need to go back and read Job. Job's life 
was turned upside down. But Job never lost his faith in God. Everybody around him seemed to be losing their faith in God, but Job knew something about God. He said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God, uh, Job knew that God was all powerful. So did the angel Gabriel. You think the angels know that God is omnipotent, that he's all powerful? I would think so. They're in the presence of God all of the time. The angel Gabriel declared to Mary in Luke 1.37, he said, for nothing will be impossible with God. What's the context in which Gabriel said, nothing will be impossible with God? Gabriel just told Mary that something impossible was going to happen in her life. Mary said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. What was going to happen? She was going to conceive and, give, uh, and become pregnant by the Holy Spirit and give birth to the Savior. How can this be? Nothing will be impossible with God. So the next time God speaks to you, directs you, asks you to do something that seems impossible, know and internalize the omnipotence of God, that nothing is impossible with God. We sometimes say no to God because we say, no, God, that's impossible. We say no to whatever it is he's asking us to do because it seems impossible. And in the natural, it is. It's impossible. In the natural, Mary could not be pregnant, but we serve a supernatural God. And so we need to internalize the reality that God, he asks us to do stuff sometimes that requires our faith in his supernatural ability to do what he said he will do. So we need to internalize the truth about who he is. When we internalize the truth about who he is, we will live with greater victory, obedience, peace, joy. What else? Great strength. You got to say it loud. Confidence. That's a good word. What else? Courage. Great word. What else? Happiness. Yeah. What else? What? Joy. Love. All Boldness. I got to get some hearing aids, I think. I can't hear anything in this room. When we internalize the truth about God, the fruit of that internalizing of truth helps us. It builds us up in our most holy faith and gives us all of the things that we've talked about as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe that God is omnipotent. If you do, internalize that. If you don't, read the Bible and have your mind and your heart and your life changed by the truth. Do you believe with Job? I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Sometimes as human beings, we make decisions based on how we feel or what our schedule looks like or what we think we can accomplish. Can I just ask you to, to think differently about your life? And instead of saying no, because you look at all of the natural stuff, say, you know what? I'm just going to pray. Regarding this men's retreat, it's $399. And so I talked to you guys, hey, you going to the men's retreat? He said, oh, no, I can't get the time off or I can't afford it. I said, stop for a minute. Can you just ask the Lord? Lord, <laughs> do you want me to go to this men's retreat? And then if you come back and say, no, I don't think it's right for me, fine. But if you sense the Lord is saying yes, 
then say <laughs> yes. Why? Because we serve a supernatural God who wants us to believe that he is supernatural, that he is omniscient, that he is omnipresent, that he is omnipotent. And so when God is asking you or when you're, uh, when you're given an opportunity to think about something, don't go just to the natural. As men, we always go to the natural. I can't afford it. I can't get the time off from work. I don't think I want to spend my time that way, right? Instead, not to be a heavy on you, because I think we're probably sold out on the men's retreat, and so it's too late for this year, but maybe next year. <laughs> just stop and pray. That's a great answer all the time. I was at the office alone on Friday trying to finish up my sermon and decided I'm going to head out and go get some lunch real quick. And there's this homeless guy at the front door. And uh, I'm like, oh, all right, so I'll go and open the door. And, and he's like, hey, can I get some money to get to the bus station to get up to San Louis? And um, I'm listening to a story. I'm like, ah, I could probably give him some money or whatever. I said, hold on. <laughs> Shut the door. Went into the other part of the office where he couldn't see me. I said, Lord, do you want me to give this guy money? Or is this a bad idea? And I just felt like, check, like, don't give this guy any money. So no excuse. I just opened the door and said, hey, I can't help you this time. And the guy's like, okay. And he turned around and just started just going off, you know. We, sometimes we say yes because in the natural we can say yes. Sometimes we say no because in the natural we, we, we can't see it. So can we just change our minds <laughs> about the way we live our lives and say, you know what, let me take a moment and pray about that. Before I say no, let me think about it and pray about it. Before I say yes, let me think about it and pray about it. Watch what God will do as we internalize the truth about who he is. Do you believe with the angel Gabriel for nothing will be impossible with God? If we believe these truths about God, our lives will be shaped by these truths, the truth that God is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. So back to Daniel chapter 11, full circle. Here we go. If God wants to reveal minute and intricate details to Daniel regarding the future, then he will do just that. If God wants to speak something to his people with minute and intricate detail for his purposes, then God can do just that. He is God, and he can do whatever he wants as he unfolds his powerful and supernatural plan in the universe. So we, as finite individuals, when we begin to grasp the infinite and limitless all-knowingness of God, the everywhere presence of God, and the all-powerfulness of God, then and only then can we rest in his good and perfect plan for our lives. Until we get a hold of this reality, we will be forever tossed to and fro by our emotions, our fears, uncertainties and insecurities, and that is no way for believers to live. <laughs> we need to internalize truth. And so with that, I'm going to ask you to stand up, and I'm going to ask you this final question. What do you believe about God, and how is that shaping your life? 
Lord, as we ponder this information, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us again and again your truth, and Lord, that we might internalize it because what we believe about you will shape the way that we live our lives, Lord, and we want to live for your glorious purposes in Christ Jesus. So help us to do so, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.